This is Larry Mike with the Brandy Austin Law Firm, and you're listening to our podcast, Disclosure, Divorce in Texas. Thank you for joining us on our second episode of Disclosure, Divorce in Texas. I'm Larry Mike. And I'm Brandy Austin. And we previously discussed the breaking point in many marriages and offered a few things to consider prior to filing for divorce. In our second episode today, we were going to talk about what courts require, all about evidence. My name is Brandy Austin, and I am an attorney licensed and practicing here in Arlington, Texas at, wait for it, the Brandy Austin Law Firm. I'm a graduate of Baylor Law School, and I focus my practice primarily on litigation, and litigation just means I go to court. And one area that has a lot of court appearances is family law, and we do that here. We've had dozens of consultations on a monthly basis, and after years of practicing, I realized there was just so much misinformation out there regarding divorce, and I wanted to take the opportunity to put together a podcast to talk a little bit more about the misconceptions and clear up some of the facts as we see it regarding divorce in Texas. Hi everyone, my name is Larry Mike. I'm an attorney licensed and practicing in Arlington, Texas, and I'm also with the Brandy Austin Law Firm. I graduated from the Texas Wesleyan University School of Law, which many of you know now as Texas A&M School of Law. Uh, my entire practice is dedicated to family law and helping families through difficult times and Sometimes happy times. I've worked in several areas of the law, but when it comes to family law, it just fits like a glove. It keeps me on my toes and keeps me emotionally engaged, and I want to share what I know with you guys and help get people on the right path for them. Uh, with regards to our philosophy here at the Brandy Austin Law Firm is we give families the information they need, answer any questions that they may have, and let them make the best decision for themselves and support them in any way that we can. That's right. At the end of the day, we go home to our lives and our clients go home to theirs and we want to make sure they're happy and they can live with the decisions made at the end of the day. So let's get right into our topic, evidence. And this is what the courts require when you decide you want to go to court, right? And that's correct. So when you file a divorce, you request that the court rule on issues. And those issues can be divorce, custody, just a multitude it can be down to who gets the silverware right yes and if you can't agree on all issues or there's a disagreement that information is going to be presented to a judge or a jury and that judge or the jury in some cases very rare cases but some cases makes the final decision and to get to that decision they want actual evidence so what is evidence evidence is basically put proof you need proof right and in in court, you know, you've got the he said, she said, or they said, or we said, but at the end of the day, what you have to show is the proof. Right. So let's just get right into it. Do you need evidence, and why do you need it? <laughs> well, unless you have a divorce or a trial where everybody agrees, and they just like, we're just going to sign this, and it's all good to go, then you don't need anything. You just need signatures. Most of the time, no. You need evidence. It's required because somebody's not going to agree. And the reason why you need evidence, especially when it comes to a divorce and anything with family law, is you are, you're changing people's lives. A lot of people's lives. Yeah. And people that can't speak for themselves, right? Exactly. The children. So, Most important. 
you are changing the lives of not only yourself and your spouse, but children and their relationship with their grandparents on both sides and aunts and uncles, cousins, you know, the, where they go to school, you know, what their day-to-day -day looks like. And the court wants to make sure they're making the best decision possible with the most accurate information. And their requirements under the civil rules of procedure on what is allowed and what's not allowed. That's correct. And we get a lot of people that come in and they have all sorts of things that they think is important that the court know and they can absolutely prove it with things that they call evidence that unfortunately may not be evidence. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we just want to make sure everyone understands what the court considers valid evidence. And, and this doesn't mean that they're going to give it more weight than something else. This just means that they'll listen. Yeah, that's right. Or look at it in some instances. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the top five things that we see most frequently used as evidence. Now, one of the, the top things that we see, and, and this is coming up more so now these days than it was in the past, uh, is your electronic evidence. Right. I mean, we are in this, this digital age where everybody has a phone and they're able to access their emails and their text messages and chat rooms and social media and photos and when i was growing up i mean i didn't we didn't have we had those letters that we passed to people <laughs> yes we actually had pen pals right and well i folded letters in triangles and passed them to the cute boy behind me right <laughs> yeah so nowadays we've got computers that we carry around on us everywhere this type of evidence can be brought into the courtroom. Your emails, text message exchanging that you've done, uh, all of your social media, photos, videos, you name it. That is one of the major focal points that I see nowadays. And, and that includes chat rooms. If you're typing searches into your search engine and Google is recording that, that's actual evidence. If you remember Casey Anthony, I believe there were some issues with her typing things into Google looking for we won't that's criminal we do that but we're not going to talk about it because it's such a downer <laughs> but that information was brought into court because yes. she typed it in it was recorded it was relevant and the court allowed the jury to see it and that happens in family law cases all the time chat rooms direct messages on facebook snapchat snapchat is a little different because the videos instantly delete but it's important to note that you can get those Snapchat messages for up to six months following the exchange. Yes. So, and attorneys can subpoena those, right? Yes, we can. It's a little known fact, but attorneys are able to subpoena things, especially in divorce, because the court does want the most accurate information, just like prosecutors can in criminal cases. And photos and videos, we have so many photos and videos. It's considered digital evidence if it's not in a tangible format like an actual photograph printed out or I guess those videotapes or DVDs. <laughs> I don't know. I think a DVD is still considered digital, but if you somehow have old videos, I don't know who has those, but I'm sure somebody does. That's not electronic evidence, but right. it's considered evidence under tangible evidence videos. <laughs> I can't think the last time I actually saw one of those other than, you know, in a closet somewhere. I saw it at a flea market. There you go. Yeah. Voicemail, those are recorded and it's digital. And you can prove all of these things by having the actual source. There's also metadata that's recorded. It, it says 
the origination of the message, the destination, who the message, message was sent to, the time, the date, location. I think even GPS information is stored when each photo is taken, each video. So if yeah. you are snapping pictures somewhere where you know, in a park, even of something innocent like a bird, and you told your wife you were in, say, Florida, and you actually went to New York with your mistress and you snapped a picture of a bird, that bird is going to have digital evidence that's going to show that you weren't where you're supposed to be and what can happen. Well, you can you can get caught in a lie. That's what can happen. And the court can hear that. Yes. And that could change the amount of money that's awarded to one party or the other. That's correct. And so emails, we get a lot of emails and text messages. There are so many programs you wouldn't believe. So many programs that you can use to download emails and text messages from somebody else's phone. Also, you don't have to take screenshots. I know a lot of people come to us with screenshot messages printed out. Yes. There are programs that you can actually download on your phone and it just takes all of the messages in nice one nice little format. Also, you can just plug your phone into the computer. I don't know who does that anymore either, but yeah, I don't. I'm sure I don't. Probably some of those Samsung people. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) So let's go on to another type of evidence. Medical records. So why in the world would we need medical records in a divorce? Well, I mean, medical records can show whether there was abuse. Mm -hmm. If there's an allegation of abuse, medical records can show that. Mental health uh, instability, it can show that as well. Addiction. Addiction, It can show that as well. Mental health is more prevalent. We do have a lot of clients who have some issues, and, and the court's not going to take your kids away just because you have anxiety or depression or something like that. Right. There's you, there usually needs to be a risk of harm in order for the court to say, hey, you know, maybe the kids should live somewhere else. But medical records can show abuse both to children and a spouse, right? That's correct, yeah. And those records, uh, we can subpoena those as well under affidavit and you'd be surprised what the doctor notates yes (laughs) and those are used pretty frequently and courts give great weight to medical records and medical opinions yes they do and then uh, what else do we have witnesses witnesses i find the witnesses other than a nicely placed photo or video i find witnesses to be the most persuasive yes definitely i mean there's some people who come in and, and they're like hey, I've got this person who knows about what's going on, and they said they'd be willing to just write a, a letter and, and get it notarized. No letters. Yeah, you know, it's, it's like if, if you've got this person who has the inside information, bring them to court so we can question them. Well, and the court wants to see the person yes. making statements so they can evaluate whether that person is trustworthy. It happens. It, sometimes people lie and they're willing to lie in an affidavit, but maybe they're not willing to lie in court. And so those things come to light if a witness is actually there. It's more credible to have someone show up. There's pretty entertaining instances of potential witnesses too. So for example, I think we had one person whose spouse cheated on them. (laughs) And she came in and she said, well, the 
person that he cheated with told her husband and then she is 100% willing to come into court and testify about their sexual exploitations. <laughs> so yes. those sorts of things have great, great weight and the court would probably not look favorably on the husband in that case. Yeah, and it drives them to, to settle real quick. At the end of the day, if we can keep you out of court and keep your business out of court, that's what we try to do. But having those people just listed in documents, maybe not even filed with the court, just in a nice letter (laughs) with the contents of their testimony (laughs) can help move a case along pretty quickly. Exactly. So another thing is statements by children, right? But those children have to be a certain age. Over 12, with with the exception, you know, if if the judge allows it, but... In any child that's 12 and above, they can certainly bring in what what they see that's going on inside of the marriage. So there's actually a provision in the Family Law Code that allows for children over 12 to be interviewed by a judge, and judges do this frequently. The attorneys are, are usually there. The parents are not there. Right. And sometimes other siblings, they're not there either. Some children don't want to give information in front of other family members and judges are they can kind of sense it they want to make the children comfortable the child comfortable and they will give them the opportunity to speak they have questions that that tend to to get good responses about what's actually going on in the household and and what the child prefers and the judges give pretty decent weight to what the the child prefers as far as living arrangements are concerned. However, they know that kids are kids. And so sometimes if one parent lets them do whatever they want and the the child's like, no, 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 I really, really want to live with mom. Mom, she's great. She's great. But she, I like pizza every night (laughs) and she may or may not give me pizza every night. It's the best. In that case, they, they, they've heard it before. And so Mm -hmm. they're, they're going to get more information and find out why the child wants to live there. And then they're going to make a decision based on the child's best interest, which there are specific qualifications to meet the best interest standard and then recommend that the child, well, I say recommend, but in, in the judge's case, they will order order. Yeah. <laughs> order that the child live the place that is the best interest in the best interest of the child. That's correct. Uh, another thing that we use as evidence is uh, police records. That's right. Police records can document any instances of family violence, even multiple times that the police have been called out to the house. You name it. Anything that involves police and the family, we can get those records. And it's not just police reports, although in family violence cases, those are really important. And if if family violence is occurring in your situation, I would recommend that you call the police and really protect yourself. You can call organizations like Safe Haven. There, there are hundreds of them out there. We can help you. Just give us a call, 817-841-9906. But also parking tickets, right? Yes. Talk about how a parking ticket can be used against you in the court of law. Well, you know, before when you talked about uh, that, that little trip with the bird in, in New York and, and someone's supposed to be, I think it was Florida, the same thing inside your city if if you're supposed to be at work or you texted your significant other that hey i'm at work but then you got a parking ticket where you're somewhere across town where you shouldn't be at Mm -hmm. i mean that can be used as evidence against you the top five things that we see most frequently used as evidence electronic evidence and this is emails text messages chat room messages social media digital photos and videos voicemail etc pretty much everything digital 
uh, medical records, witness statements and witnesses, witness testimony, statements by children over the age of 12, and police records and parking tickets. So let's talk a little bit about what is not considered evidence. Larry, what do people come in and say, I would say 95% of the time, what types of things do they come in and tell us? The rumors. Rumors. Yep. Somebody, he said, well, she said that he said that they told me that he did this. Mm-hmm. Does that count? No, it doesn't count at all. I mean, it makes for good, good gossip. Right. Good TV. <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't count at all. We call that hearsay. And court, hearsay is not allowed unless there's an exception. Most of the time in family court, the exception is going to be admission of a party opponent, but they have to tell you the statement in order for you to talk about it. If you're telling me that someone else said something that your spouse said to them, I'm going to need that person. Exactly. To testify in court, actual court. And a lot of times that person's not going to want to come to court. No, they don't want to get in your business. Rumors are not considered evidence. You cannot just tell me that you think something was said or... Johnny told you that your spouse is going to go to the bar on Friday night or went to the bar on Friday night and had a drink with some other lady. It doesn't matter. I don't care. That's not going to work. A lot of times people think of what's the best way to describe it. It's like that movie Minority Report Mm -hmm. where they can predict the future or you see something can happen and then it hasn't happened yet. Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing. People like, well, I think this is going to happen or he or she is going to do this. So then they try to bring that in as evidence. Right. I think that my ex or my spouse is going to start dating this guy that was in her high school because she messaged him that one time. (laughs) So I wanted to go ahead and make sure she gets nothing. (laughs) No, you can't do that. Some people are notorious when they, they try to link everything together and then they come up with this whole convoluted picture of this is what's going to happen. Mm Mm-hmm. And what goes along with that is the content of electronic evidence. So you have the electronic evidence, and we can can use it sometimes, but it doesn't always mean what you think it means. Yes. So talk about that a little bit. I guess if I'm going to come from the man's point of view. Mm. So let's let's pick something, for example. There's this thing called sliding into DMs. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's sliding into the direct messages. Mm-hmm. And, and it's notorious in, in Instagram or, or Facebook or whatever it is. So uh, before I talked about how social media is a blessing and a curse, and it's a curse because it causes so much strife in relationships. Mm-hmm. But when you, there are some people out there when they see a message, let's say for men, you somehow get access to your 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 ladies. She leaves it up when yes. she goes to yeah. the bathroom. Yeah, okay, yeah. So she left it up, right? And you look at it and you're like, hold up, who is this guy? And this guy is someone that she used to know back in high school mm-hmm. who sent her a message of, mm-hmm. hey, how you doing? She's cheating on him. Yep, no. we read it, yep. <laughs> they are, they're together and they're cheating and... <laughs> the world is over. <laughs> yeah, it's done. So, but th- that's not evidence. That's not evidence. You have to, if you're trying to prove... Adultery, which sometimes happens in these situations when people get so angry, you have to show that there was sexual contact. Yes. Like actual, like they really have to talk about things in these electronic messages. It can't just be, I really enjoyed seeing you last night. That does not count. No, it doesn't. And, And some people, I think there's only been one time ever where I had someone come in with pictures mm. of the act happening. Right. But sometimes yeah. people hire uh, private investigators, and you know, that information is helpful because not only do you have a witness at that point, yes, but you probably have video that you paid for. 
Yes. And those things count. But messages that may say, hey, it was great to see you, that doesn't count. Yeah. I mean, it, it shows that, that your spouse was somewhere they weren't supposed to be or someone, they lied to you. That counts. But ultimately, Texas is a community property state. Everything is 50-50. You can show adultery, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get a majority of the money or custody of the children, right? Right, that's right. I mean, there are some judges out there who, depending on where you're at, they may take a hard-line approach and just, boom, swing the hammer. And then there are others who look at it and they're like, you know what? They don't see that as the cause of the divorce. It's mm-hmm. only a symptom of it. Right. It's important to note here that custody and possession and access of the children is not the same. It doesn't fall in the same category with adultery. Right. If, you know, just because you're a bad wife or a bad husband does not mean you're a bad parent. That's right. And the courts know that. That's just like child support. Child support and spending time with that parent, those don't go together. You can't withhold a child from... <laughs> Some people do. They, <laughs> they do, do but you can't do that. And it's the same. Just because you're a bad spouse does not mean that uh, you're a bad parent, and the courts understand that. So, no, we can't take the kids away from your spouse because <laughs> they cheated on you. <laughs> and I know this will come up frequently, and it always does. If a person has been cheated on and that spouse is with that other person, oh, no, yes. I don't want my kids around that person at all. Yeah, you can't do that. You can limit their involvement during the pendency of the divorce, so before, before the divorce is finalized. But once the divorce is finalized, you cannot restrict other people's movements. You can restrict where your kids are at, the location of where they live. It's called a geographical restriction. Right. You can do that, but you can't restrict an adult's movements just because essentially you don't like the person they're with. I'm sorry, it sucks, it does. But anyone who's a competent adult over the age of 18 is going to be able to pick up your children from school for your spouse if your spouse is unable to do so themselves, right? That's correct. And you can't change it, I mean, that's just the way it is. If there is some abuse issues or maybe there's a criminal history or a drug history, absolutely. Protecting your child, no matter where your child is at, is first priority. And the courts understand that. Again, children are small and they can't go and find their own attorneys and (laughs) tell (laughs) tell them that they they don't want to do this or that and and have somebody go to court for them. So the, the court spends a great amount of time protecting them. And even if, let's say even if the parties, they, they get this paramour clause in there where the person right. can't stay overnight, if they get married to that person, that's out. So the paramour clause, which is the clause that says... No pe- overnights. Right. Well, people over the age of 18 in a relationship with you cannot stay overnight with you if the children are in your possession, essentially. There's some restrictions, times, and whatnot. But those clauses aren't common. But they do happen occasionally. I've seen it happen in Johnson County during the pendency of a divorce. But again, restricting someone after a divorce is finalized is, is very rare. And yeah. also, if that person marries, you know, maybe the secretary, maybe the pool boy, if they marry this person, there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> They're allowed to get remarried. They're allowed to remarry whoever they want. And as long as there aren't any drug issues, abuse issues, any of that, then then they can be around your children. Well, that's correct. The things that are not considered evidence. Rumors, 
content of electronic evidence, like what's actually in the emails. It may not mean what you think it means. That's right. And then something you think might happen in the future. If you're considering divorce, and in our very first episode, we talked about what the breaking point is and the things that you should consider before filing for divorce. If you're past that and you've made the decision, then it's important to note what evidence actually is and, and what you need and what you're trying to prove and what the courts will accept. You can give us a call and we can talk about it with you. We offer free 30 minute consultations. We'll go through your situation, tell you what what we think honestly, and and kind of steer you in the right direction. So I'm going to go ahead and read the disclaimer because as you know, we are attorneys and these things have to happen in our world. (laughs) The information in this podcast and or video referred to as media is provided for general informational purposes only and may not reflect the current law in your jurisdiction. No information contained in this media should be construed as legal advice of Brandy Austin Law Firm, Brandy Austin, or Larry Mike, nor is it intended to be a substitute for legal counsel on any subject matter. No viewer or listener of this media should act or refrain from acting on the basis of any information included in or accessible through this media without seeking the appropriate legal or other professional advice on the particular facts and circumstances at issue from a lawyer licensed in the recipient state country or other appropriate licensing jurisdiction. With that being said, we do have a list of resources available regarding the topics in today's podcast, and you can find those by visiting our website at www.brandyaustinlaw.com, and you can just click on the media tab and we'll have resources there for you. This is episode two of our Disclosure Divorce in Texas podcast. Now, Larry, you're not required to hire an attorney in a divorce in Texas, are you? No, you're not, but I would suggest you do so because you can represent yourself, but you'll be expected to uphold the same standards that an attorney would. You'd expect it to know the court procedures, file the appropriate pleadings, and present your own case. And if you don't know the law or haven't practiced the law, you might be in trouble. You're listening to Brandy Austin Law Firm's Disclosure Divorce in Texas podcast miniseries. Tune in to our next podcast in this series, Initial Confrontation, Temporary Hearings. This is Brandy Austin and Larry Mike providing remarkable representation in the area of family law. Please feel free to call us anytime at 817-841-9906. Look us up on Facebook under Brandy Austin Law Firm or reach us online at www.brandyaustinlaw.com. That's Brandy like the wine, Austin like the city, and law as in what we do. Thanks for joining us and we hope you listen to our next podcast.